This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Good evening from Charleston, I'm Eric Douglas. Welcome back to West Virginia Public Broadcasting Series, The Legislature Today. The legislature chose not to meet today, allowing members to go home in advance of the ice storm, but it was still a busy week. In our show tonight, we'll hear about the push to allow nuclear energy in West Virginia. It is a move that was once unthinkable, but it is currently heading to the governor's desk for his signature. And we'll hear delegates Matthew Rohrbach and Daniel Walker discuss health issues facing the state and how they are being addressed by the legislature. But first, reporter Liz McCormick breaks down what happened during week four of the legislative session. The fourth week of the 2022 West Virginia legislative session marked the start of February and Black History Month. Several lawmakers recognized the month during remarks on the floor, including House Minority Leader Doug Scaff of Kanawha County. So Black History Month, it doesn't just promote diversity, but it allows us all to celebrate. It unites us, it uplifts us, by taking us beyond those history books, helps us understand the importance and the stories and that you tell your friends and your family. Black Americans and their contributions not only to West Virginia, but to America and the world. The new month also marked new tax revenue numbers for the state. Governor Jim Justice reported this week that January collections were more than $570 million. That's nearly $137 million above estimates and more than 29% above receipts compared to this same time last fiscal year. Senate Finance Chair Eric Tarr of Putnam County commended the announcement of yet another surplus for the state during remarks. He pointed to job creation. As we go through with this surplus, we can either be looked back upon in history as the ones who had the opportunity to create perpetual opportunity for the children of West Virginia, or we can be looked at as the ones who wasted the opportunity. So I'm going to encourage you to, to look forward to as with a planning heart in mind for what that future of West Virginia should look like and how this money should be best used Lawmakers in both the House and Senate also approved dozens of bills this week out of their respective chambers. Delegates in the House approved several, such as House Bill 2817, which would create a donated drug repository program. House Bill 4257 would permit visitations immediately following a procedure in a health care facility. And House Bill 4311 would make voter fraud a felony. Right now, it's a misdemeanor. Since the 2020 election, there has been a nationwide debate on the integrity of elections in the country. Delegate Mike Pushkin, a Democrat from Kanawha County, questioned the need for the bill. If the intent is to restore people's faith in their elections, I'm for that. I can support that. I can support restoring the people's faith in the electoral process. But I would go as far as saying if we really want to restore faith 
in our elections, maybe the chief election officer of the state should probably refrain from standing on the steps of the Capitol with a Stop the Steal sign. Delegate Daniel Linville, a Republican from Cabell County, spoke in favor of the bill, pointing to an instance of voter fraud in 2012 in Lincoln County. Judge had to throw out 300 ballots in the Democratic primary in Lincoln County, West Virginia. I don't want to hear anymore that this, isn't, this doesn't happen, it's never happened, it's out in the ether, and you're solving a problem that doesn't exist. Right there it is. Google it. Despite the debate, the bill passed 94 to 0 and is now awaiting consideration in the Senate. The upper chamber this week passed bills such as Senate Bill 450, which updates definitions of the West Virginia Personal Income Tax Act, and Senate Bill 492, which relates to electronic collections of tolls. But senators also passed a bill that strengthens a 2019 law that requires cameras in special education classrooms. The 2019 law was originally put in place following incidents of physical abuse and mistreatment of students with special needs in some West Virginia special education classrooms. Senate Bill 261 extends the amount of time that recordings must be kept and requires that footage be checked at least every 90 days. Senator Eric Nelson, a Republican from Kanawha County, is the bill's lead sponsor. It's very unfortunate because the losers in this are those special children that unfortunately maybe cannot speak and carry that on. This bill gives us another, gives school educators another move to make sure that these terrible acts do not happen in the future. Senate Bill 261 passed unanimously in the Senate and is now awaiting consideration in the House. Four weeks into this year's legislative session, lawmakers have introduced more than 1,700 bills. For the legislature today, I'm Liz McCormick. Thanks for that, Liz. More than 25 years ago, the West Virginia legislature banned the construction of nuclear power plants in the state, fearing it would compete with coal. This year, the legislature is lifting that ban. This doesn't mean nuclear power is coming to West Virginia tomorrow, but it could be possible in the future. Curtis Tate brings us this story. The West Virginia legislature banned the construction of nuclear power facilities in 1996. This year, lawmakers undid the ban. The House of Delegates voted 76 to 16 in favor of the repeal. Earlier, the Senate did by a vote of 24 to 7. James Van Nostren, director of the Center for Energy and Sustainable Development at West Virginia University, said the ban was originally intended to protect the state's coal industry. The original intent was to make sure that there was no competition for baseload generation for coal. But times have changed. Coal has been in decline for years. Meanwhile, low carbon or carbon-free sources of power are increasingly attractive to companies. One of them is Nucor. The steelmaker recently announced a major investment in West Virginia. In his State of the State address, Governor Jim Justice celebrated the news. We absolutely have so many things to be thankful for, but we've got new core in West Virginia right now. Behind the scenes, the ban became a potential sticking point, according to multiple lawmakers. Companies like Nucor have carbon reduction goals, with some aiming for net zero emissions by mid-century. Nuclear power is one option to achieve that. Coal remains the dominant source of power in West Virginia. It generated 88% of the state's electricity in 2020, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Chris Hamilton, the president of the West Virginia Coal Association, testified against repealing the ban. West Virginia and this capital has always been a safe haven for our miners and their families. 
Today they wake up to news that nuclear power is coming to West Virginia. Hamilton had some unlikely allies, environmentalists, concerned about the disposal of nuclear waste. One of them was Delegate Evan Hansen, a Monongalia County Democrat. My current understanding is that while the amount of nuclear waste might be less than a conventional nuclear plant with one of these new advanced plants, uh, nuclear waste is still going to be generated, and there's no long-term solution for that. West Virginia is one of 13 states to restrict the construction of nuclear power facilities. Such restrictions came in the wake of high-profile nuclear accidents, notably Three Mile Island and Chernobyl. But as climate change looms as a bigger threat, and coal use has declined nationwide, states have taken a fresh look at nuclear. As of last year, there were 55 commercially operating nuclear power facilities nationwide. The newest, in Tennessee, began operating in 2016. Another pair of reactors in Georgia are under construction. Even supporters of the repeal acknowledge the state will not see nuclear power anytime soon. Here's Delegate Kayla Young, a Kanawha County Democrat. Like my friend said, I don't think it's something we're going to see in the next decade. It's going to take a while to develop it. Nuclear facilities are costly. They may not be the most economical option for utility customers. Here's Delegate Ed Evans, a McDowell County Democrat. He voted no. It's not cheap. Don't say that it is. It's not. Do you know what it costs to enrich uranium or whatever fuel they choose to use? Who's it, that cost is going to be passed along to the ratepayers. It's not cheap. Sorry. But the repeal's lead House sponsor, Delegate Brandon Steele, a Raleigh County Republican, said its purpose was to remove a barrier to a diversified economy. A lot of the debate has gotten into how we're going to regulate it, how we're going to uh, save coal jobs, are we going to switch to nuclear and not use coal. This bill doesn't shut down any coal-fired power plant. This bill doesn't shut anything down. In the end, members in both chambers and both parties voted overwhelmingly for repeal. The question before the House is, shall the bill pass? Those in favor of passage of the bill will please vote aye. Those opposed will please vote no. The clerk will prepare the machine. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate. Thank you, Curtis. Our final segment tonight turns to all things health. Chairman Matthew Rohrbach from Cabell County and Minority Vice Chair Danielle Walker of Monongalia County both from the House Health Committee, sat down with reporter June Leffler earlier this week. Here's that conversation. Hello, Delegate Walker. Hello, Delegate Rohrbach. Thank you for being on the program today. You both sit on the House Health Human Resources Committee. Delegate Rohrbach now as chair, Delegate Walker as the minority vice chair. What are your legislative priorities as it relates to health? Delegate Rohrbach, let's start with you. Well, we've got a number of priorities, and we've already moved a number of bills. One of my big efforts is to get access to prescription drugs to everybody and decrease the cost. Uh, we've also are having a bill about civil commitment that will be coming up to try to streamline and modernize that. We've got another foster care bill that's going to be forthcoming. So we've got a lot of bills. We're going to look at certificate of need. Actually, that's tomorrow. So we've got a lot that we're going to look at in regards to the health delivery system of the state of West Virginia. Delegate Rohrbach, can you talk a little bit more about um, reducing the costs of drug prices? I've, I've seen that you have moved some bills on that end. Uh, what specifically are you looking into? Well, uh, gosh, we did the insulin copay bill. 
that passed out of the House last week that decreases insulin to $35 a month cap on the copays. Uh, it also adds a cap of $100 on uh, insulin uh, materials such as uh, lancets and continuous glucose monitors, glucometer strips. And in addition, it also, for the first time, makes a $250 cap every two years for insulin pumps that would particularly be geared at uh, our type 1 diabetics. So uh, we've done that. Uh, we've also done some things to rein in some abusive practice by prescription benefit managers that have affected a lot of people, particularly those that are on uh, drugs uh, such as biologics or chemotherapy or things of that nature. We did a bill just today to uh, eliminate the uh, white bagging, which is, uh, is another thing that the insurance companies use to kind of take advantage of some situations. So we're committed to trying to get the cost of pharmaceuticals down. And just real quick, what is white bagging? Well, it's where the insurance company has to mail the drugs to the hospital. And they're usually chemotherapeutic agents, things of that nature. Well, the problem with that is then they're asking the hospital to administer something that they didn't prepare. That's problem number one. But then another thing is that adds an unnecessary delay to people that show up with leukemia or lymphoma or things of that nature and really need to get the therapy started now. So that's just an unnecessary delay to wait. I and mean, we've heard of someone with leukemia waiting two weeks till their chemotherapy showed up. And that's not acceptable when the hospital has it there they should be allowed to go ahead and administer it and start that life-saving therapy for that patient immediately. Delegate Walker, what are your legislative priorities as it relates to health care? Health care, we need to make sure that we are making an inclusive and equitable effort when we think about health care. There is a bill that I will be introducing in honor of my late son, and it's called Demetrius Law. What that bill will do is make sure that we're educating folks about blood donations and also bone marrow donations. We also have, um, I agree with Delegate Rohrbach with the caps on prescriptions. We need to make sure that every mountaineer has accessibility to healthcare. And also I've introduced a bill with a couple of co-sponsors to reveal the abortion bans that we have in this state. When we think about healthcare, it is so intersectional. I am a minority in this state. And we need the Office of Minority Health to finally be on the agenda. It's one thing when we introduce legislation, but it's most importantly when we have them on the agenda. A question for both of you all. Of all the health legislation introduced, there are virtually no bills that aim to curb the spread of COVID-19. I also don't see bills addressing the hospital worker shortage this pandemic has brought. Um, why is that, Delegate Rohrbach? Well, as far as the healthcare workforce, which I think is what you're mm -hmm. uh, addressing, uh, you know, the governor does have some legislation that's going to be forthcoming to deal with that uh, we've also made a commitment to start another nursing school at Concord University and expand some of the other ones. We're looking at a, a loan forgiveness program. 
So I think there's going to be a fair amount that will be geared at uh, trying to alleviate the workforce shortage. Another thing we're looking at is career tracks for our secondary schools to make children aware of the careers that are out there in healthcare. As far as COVID-19, uh, I guess you're talking about limiting the spread. Uh, all of those bills, a, a, a lot of that, you know, what we've seen is, is kind of coming from the federal government, and uh, it's, it's kind of hard for us to kind of upsurp what the federal government's doing in that arena. Sure. It sounds like what I'm hearing is that, um, you know, but on the, the issue of the worker shortage, um, you're going to be taking your lead from the governor. Well, no, we've had discussions with the governor, and I've had a subcommittee that's met about this. Okay. But I think those bills are going to be introduced as governor's bills. Okay. But they will certainly get strong support in the House, and I believe the Senate as well. Uh, I don't think anybody doesn't recognize there's a huge problem out there and the problem will be addressed. Delegate Walker, um, any response to that question? We are still in a pandemic, and we understand that the healthcare system and the workers, they're tired and they're exhausted. When we look at bills being introduced, we have to understand that it's a hundred of us. And a lot of those things are federal regulations. And so we take the lead from that. If the governor already has an idea of bills being introduced, we will wait for those bills to come to make sure that we are in line, of course, with the federal regulations. So let's get on to some more um, specific legislation. Uh, lawmakers are proposing a 15-week abortion ban. Um, it has yet to make it to either floor. Um, I will say that. But can you tell me your stance on this bill and on this issue? Um, Delegate Walker, you can start. I oppose the legislation. And my stand is that it should be between a patient and the physician. Everyone should have the right to choose. This is a very touchy subject for me as I have been an abortion patient. Patient is the key word there. I don't understand why we would want to eliminate safe, accessible, affordable healthcare. That is the bottom line. Delegate Rohrbach, um, you're you're not a sponsor of this bill, but clearly this bill has made it through your committee. Uh, what is your stance on this bill and on this issue? Well, this bill has made it through our committee on health, and it now resides in the committee on the judiciary. I support the bill, and I think if you listen to the hearings about this in front of the U.S. Supreme Court recently, they seem to give some indication that that's going to be the direction they're going to go. So I think this bill is more than likely going to sync up our legislation with what the courts are going to say. All right, and a decision in that case is expected this summer. Let's go to another bill that has passed through the House floor and is going to the Senate. This is House Bill 2184, Delegate Rohrbach. You have sponsored this bill. 
This is on um, increasing penalties for people who use drugs that may potentially expose healthcare workers or EMS workers to fentanyl. I am curious as to why is this um, an issue of you know, health concern to our workers. Um, I'm not seeing a lot of evidence that it is and that potentially anytime we do put forward these bills, um, that they do create a harm of stigma to people that, you know, do use drugs. But I'm looking for your perspective on why you sponsored this bill and why you think this is needed. Well, this bill is needed because of several reasons. First of all, uh, transdermal exposure is real. Uh, I've went out personally and toured all of our state labs, not with this regard in mind, but they've reported cases of people that have been exposed transdermally, and our law enforcement doesn't know what they're getting into. Our EMS, you can also inhale these substances. So yes, do I want to give a prosecutor the ability to add extra penalties to someone that is bringing three pounds of fentanyl into our state and one of our state troopers perhaps gets ill because of that uh, it has to be given Narcan? Yes, in Huntington we recently had a two-year-old exposed to fentanyl probably through transdermal measures. So yes, this is a real problem and yes, I do want to give our prosecutors more tools to put away the people that are bringing this product into our state and killing our citizens by the thousands. Delegate Walker, um, you also voted in favor of this bill, um, but I do know, you know, two of your colleagues um, that you hold in high esteem, um, Delegate Pushkin and Delegate Fleischhauer, um, you know, they voted no to this. Um, so. From your perspective, um, why did you vote for this? When we think about our first responders, I want everyone to have the ability to return home, just as they left home that morning. This is a very deep concern, especially being someone who is so supportive of prevention and recovery. But I am also an accountability holder. My concern with the bill was if someone who is using doesn't know that there's fentanyl in that source. But the bill talked about doing away with that and that we wouldn't have those kind of instances. If you are bringing fentanyl into the state of West Virginia, you do the crime, you must do the time. Enough is enough. We are in a drug epidemic. It's not just opioids anymore. And as I support criminal justice reform, we must make sure that we are holding those who are bringing these things into our state accountable. And it was a hard yes vote. I went back and forth. But I'm also supportive of EMS workers and our EMTs and law enforcement and firefighters and the volunteer firefighters. No one should have to deal with this type of exposure. And with our remaining time, um, could both of you just 
end on um, some legislation that you or your colleagues are working on that you really hope will make it into law. Delegate Walker, anything else you'd like to speak to on that? We have a new bill that was introduced by myself and Delegate Hanson, House Bill 4382, that's gonna repeal all of the abortion bans that we have currently in the state. I would love to see this on the committee where we can vet the bill, discuss it, and debate it. I would also like to see Dimitri's Law um, be voted on and passed through the state of West Virginia. We have a whole bunch of bipartisan bills that is gonna make sure that each and every West Virginia are healthy and that they thrive, not just survive. Thank you. Delegate Rohrbach, um, any final bills that you are looking forward to this session? Well, as I've already alluded, we've got a number of bills yet to come. Certificate of Need, uh, we're going to look at doing something there. Uh, there'll probably be some reform in that nature. Uh, civil Commitment is going to be a huge bill. Foster Care is going to be a huge bill. So uh, we really have a number of large bills yet to come in front of the committee. And uh, so we've got a lot of work left, and we look forward to getting to it. All right, that is all the time we have today. Delegate Rohrbach, Delegate Walker, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thanks, June. Next Friday, we'll have more news and interviews from the 2022 legislative session. But remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia Channel, and the Legislature Today is simulcast on both radio and television every Friday night at 6. I'm Eric Douglas. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us, and have a great weekend.